and it just felt so unfair that I that was something that I just couldn't get over but when I really sort of uh, I really got deeper into the got a bit of a deeper understanding of the philosophy when I met Kamalaksha in uh, my then friend afterwards boyfriend and now husband in 1998 and um, he was able to explain the philosophy to me in a way that really made sense that really felt like like this this is the most reasonable most sensible way of looking at the world and looking at suffering and god and our place in the world and and that's when i when i started practicing beautiful yeah so so kamalaksha was your Bhartma Pradakshika guru, kind of. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because that really like the question of suffering, like why am I suffering? Why is there so much suffering in the world? You know, it's something that, you know, people much smarter than me have been asking forever. But but Kamalaksha had the answers in, you know, karma and reincarnation and mm. and having so much information also about God that I found that really appealing as well. I, I read the Bhagavad Gita and, and he took me to the local temple to the Sunday feast and I I felt like like that was the most beautiful, the deities, the altar, that, that was the most beautiful thing I had ever seen. Wow. So I kind of felt like both things kind of the experience and the philosophy made just felt so right to me somehow it's wonderful so did you have to leave like um a way of living or friends or what what did your departure from your previous life look like was there or were you able to kind of integrate the two of them well i had had a group of friends that that i was kind of partying with a lot and I like looking back at it now, I, I had a bit of an unhealthy relationship with alcohol, I have to say, because I was an unhappy person, you know, deeply unhappy. And, and alcohol was a way of trying to fix that, that obviously would have led into huge problems in the long run. And, um, and that's another thing that I'm really grateful for that I really feel that, you know, Bhakti intervened at a point in my life where I was where I had started on a road that would have led to uh, to really like deep self-harm and self-hate and that that's something you know that I strongly feel still today that that in the beginning I maybe didn't even realize the impact you know that these changes would have on me and in the long run and how the you know, Gaudiya Vaishnav lifestyle, how, how it really sort of solved so many problems for me and, and has the potential to, you know, be the solution for the whole world. In the beginning, it maybe just felt like this is something weird and marginal that I'm doing with a bunch of other weirdos and that appealed to me you know as a teenager I wanted to be special I was 19 years old I was like it was like cool to be a part of this little almost like a secret club but today when I you know maybe having a bit 
more more of an understanding of the philosophy I feel like this isn't you know a small club that this could really help everyone beautiful and you had talked about you know having this disability that you were born with and I know that you know you were saying that it you know you really struggled with understanding that why would you know God do this to you and um and the philosophy started to help you to, to make some sense out of that. And I, I would just be curious to kind of hear how that, maybe that progression happened for you and, and how your disability, maybe you, how different you look at that now. And maybe explain a little bit about what your disability is and- um, Yeah, what? yeah, I had malformed feet. So, uh, so my feet always, were weak and looked funny and the other kids would of course notice that and kids can be pretty cruel so sure. I was bullied a lot at school and always kind of felt like an outsider and uh, and had a strong desire to belong you know to be a part of a group which also is a tendency that could have you know really gotten me in a lot of trouble if the group that I then attached myself to wasn't the devotees right so uh, so when I, after getting to know Kamalaksha and kind of starting to look at my disability in a different way, you know, I started thinking that, that this isn't like a punishment or a random, you know, act of nature, but, but this is something that I can learn from, that this is a reminder for me not to, to get to sort of, uh, attached to the external, not to judge others by their appearance, because I don't want to be judged either. Mm-hmm. And so my feet were uh, getting worse and worse. My old feet were getting more and more painful. And, uh, and when I was uh, 23 years old, together with, uh, with my doctors, we decided that I'd get amputated. And especially at that point, I think people People were really amazed by how calmly I, I made that decision. And I mean, it's not unique. I've, afterwards, I've met other people who have had severe issues and who've chosen to be amputated. But, but it's, I mean, it, it's a little bit unusual, obviously. Yeah, and, for sure. But uh, even like a small theoretical understanding, you know, of the, of the Gaudiya Vaishnava philosophy, like, even that sort of very superficial understanding that I had of Bhagavad Gita and, and the idea that we're not these bodies was so helpful, you know, mm-hmm. at that point, because I was just looking at it, you know, like that old uh, analogy of uh, us, you know, as Jeevas kind of driving around in different cars, like changing bodies, like someone would change a car. And I, I was able to you know, look at my feet and kind of say to myself that, you know, I'm just like switching to a different pair of feet to walk with. And what are feet really? They're meant for walking. They're not, you know, our personality doesn't reside in our feet. And so, so that made such a huge difference for me in, in that point in my life, being able to, um, to, you know, at least theoretically understand that that I would still be the same person, that switching my feet to a nicer, really, you know, a much 
nicer pair making this upgrade from a rusty old car to a fancy new Tesla or whatever would uh, wouldn't really you know essentially change who I was so I got amputated in 2002 and learned to walk mm -hmm. again and and I all really went so smoothly that it's really I mean I've had such an easy life people often think that that these have been difficult experiences but looking back I'm just everything just went so easily for me and and then the following year 2003 Kamalaksa and I finally got married and for our honeymoon we decided to that we wanted to go to California he had already been several times uh, when he was younger and, and I had always wanted to go to the Rata Yatra. That was like a long time dream of mine at that point. So we decided to go uh, to, to Los Angeles and to San Francisco. That year the Rata Yatras were timed so we were able to go to both. And obviously Guru Maharaj was doing the festivals at Odaria. So it was kind of like on a whim that we decided to go to Odaria. We had been reading Guru Maharaj's books and listening to his classes. We had been really impressed. It was Brigu who, uh, who had introduced us to, to Guru Maharaj's work. So we, we went to Los Angeles and then we, we went, continued our journey to San Francisco, uh, got to uh, a devotee, drove us up to Odaria and, and we met Guru Maharaj and talked with him and we were really impressed. And, just by the beauty of the whole place and the whole, you know, setting that just felt so spiritually supercharged, I want to say, like such a special, unique place. And, um, and Guru Maharaj, after our first talk, he, he called us back to him later the same evening and, and said that he wanted to talk to us again. And so we went and, and he said that he'd like to initiate us. And we were like, no, 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 no. Like, this is such a bad idea. Like, you're making a huge mistake here. Because, you know, we were very, like, we both very strongly identified as devotees. But we were having huge problems with our sadhana. Like, huge mm. gaps. We both, like, mm. I feel, had kind of a little bit, well, I shouldn't probably talk for Kamalaksha, he has his own story. But me personally, at least, at least what had kind of happened was that uh, the intellectual, you know, I was always intellectually very attracted to, to the philosophy, but then like actually putting that into, uh, into use in practical terms that like heart exercise, you know, as mm -hmm. opposed to the intellectual exercise was lacking because I wasn't really feeling you know, the feelings that were supposed to be there when chanting. And so we were trying to, you know, talk Guru Maharaj out of this horrible mistake that he was about to make. But, but you know, he, in his mercy, you know, he had a bigger vision of the situation. Mm. And, he, and I'm, you know, eternally grateful for him and so happy that we allowed ourselves to be talked into it. Uh, and got initiated the following day and that you know that connection that was created at that point like the way the you know the spiritual current that just came to us through Guru Maharaj and I mean I 
in the name of honesty, it has to be said that it's, it's not like my sadhana changed that day and ever since, you know, I've chanted my rounds perfectly. It's something that I still struggle with to this day, but the having that experience of someone actually fully, you know, living, living for bhakti and, and have, being in connection with someone who has that connection to Krishna, that I, I feel like, like without Grumaraj, I, I probably wouldn't be here. I, I wouldn't have anything without him. I wouldn't be anything. Wow, that's, it's, it's so true. I mean, to have the connection with the Sadhguru in this lifetime is like gold for all of us. And, um, and yeah, I also and say that I really felt like also that so relieved to find find a guru in whose company I felt like I could be myself, like fully mm -hmm. myself, because previously I had kind of felt like, you know, having grown up in a quite a, an equal Nordic country in a pretty equal society, having to like, having this pressure uh, around me of having to be this shy, humble creature that, you know, the the humble Mataji, that, that just isn't me. And that's not who I was brought up to be and not like the way that I've looked at women uh, in our society. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I felt like I, a lot of times before I had felt like I have so much uh, love for the tradition, but do I need to like suppress myself somehow and, mm -hmm. and try to pretend to be someone else. But with Grumaraj, I felt like like suddenly the modern world and the tradition were like balanced uh, in a way that also enabled me to fully embrace the tradition. Um, yeah, that's that's. I also had that experience with meeting Gurmaraj was that I could I could totally be who I was and um, and be accepted for that and yeah, it was so refreshing um, to have his company. It's really beautiful. Yeah, so you you have um, done many things um, in the last 17 years or since then. And um, well, one of the things that, the first thing I ever read that you had been involved with was this little booklet. I love this little booklet. It, I don't know how many of you on the call have have ever gotten to see it, but it's the little book of Bhakti Yoga. Brigupad wrote the texts in it, and Kamalaksha and Prashangi did the artwork. And um, it's just so charming. I, you know, I like, I just pulled one, just opened the book, and it says, How can I know if that's an Anubhav? It's little, it's Kamalaksha who's in the duck form, um, yawning. And Kushangi is the little mouse. I guess these are their alter egos. And um, she's going, but how can I, he's yawning and she's saying, but how can I know if that's an Anubhav or he's just lazy? <laughs> I mean, it's just like so many, every, every single cartoon in here is just like one that just makes me smile. So. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, the process really, uh, Brigu wrote all these very serious, you know, very, 
well um, argumented, uh, philosophically correct uh, little texts about different aspects of bhakti yoga of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. And then I did these silly drawings. And I, I think I also did them really fast. I think we were working on two different books that summer and, and wanted to get them out quickly. And so I was just doodling basically and, and doing the type of jokes like the Anubhav yawning duck. So, uh, but I feel like, like we, we may have created like a perfect balance there, you know, between silliness and seriousness. And, and I think it's, it's so important. And that's also something that, that I've always really appreciated in Guru Maharaj, how he talks about how we need to, you know, present Gaudiya Vaishnavism in a way that's relevant to people and, and constantly keep kind of updating the way that it's presented because people are different and times change and, and some people will, you know, prefer Brigo's texts and, and some people will prefer my drawings. And, and that's, I feel that's like what we need. We need exactly. something for, for everyone, for the silly ones like myself and the serious ones like Brigo. There, there needs to be something for everyone to, to enjoy. And I think, you know, I mean, I, I appreciated the text and reading the text and then seeing the cartoons. <laughs> I mean, I just, yeah, the balance, the balance of it. And yeah, just so, it's like charming. That's the word that, for that book. And you've also, you've, you've done other books, Time After Time, The Ten Avatars of Krishna. That was another book that you had done. When, when did you do that book? When was that published? out in uh, 2014 but I had basically been planning to do that book ever since I became a devotee I I started reading the Srimad Bhagavatam pretty early on and and of course there are so many things in the Bhagavatam and I I definitely wasn't you know uh, able to to appreciate all the philosophical insights at that point but I was immediately very attracted to the to the Dashavatar to the different stories of the of the different gods and and I I always wanted to do a book about them but but somehow it felt so difficult and so you know such a huge uh, undertaking to uh, to cover them all I did a small like a mini comic about Matsya and we were talking about doing all the 10 all the 10 avatars as separate little booklets and maybe putting them in a box but but then it kind of that project didn't sort of um, grow organically so we put it aside and this is something we've noticed when we worked on our books that sometimes a book needs to kind of we need to take a break with one project and maybe if we're inspired to work on something else, like we allow that project to pull us in and then we return to the other. So I'm really happy that I didn't do the Dasartar book, you know, in 98, that I did it so much later when I had developed mm -hmm. so much as a storyteller and as an artist. And, and so I, I was able to do it in a way that, uh, that would maybe do justice to the, 
to Srimad Bhagavatam. And of course, I also felt like, like nervous about, you know, being offensive, like in my drawing style and not being able to do those amazing Indian miniature style paintings that we see. But I was really inspired by, by seeing some sort of um, a DIY art from India. You know, all those murals they have and all those amazing uh, paintings on trucks and like the gods are everywhere in India and it's not like like you can only paint God in India if you're if you're you know perfectly trained and have the perfect technique but but it's something that's a part of people's everyday life and and that sort of a folk art approach really made me feel like I could you know, I could be a small chain in this long, or a small link in this long chain of artists who have done their own versions, like their own interpretations that, and in that way, I, I felt, uh, felt better about taking on this challenge. Yeah, no, it's like the, the slippic succession of artists here. And because yeah. you arranged it that you, like you said, that you put it aside for a little while and, and the timing was perfect when you were really had more of a maybe, you know, just spiritual understanding of these avatars and what they were about that you were able to pick it up again. Uh, yeah, and I worked on it a lot in Madhuvan too. We, mm. we were in Madhuvan the previous winter and, and we had a really strict system of, uh, of working on the, on the text and the sketches every day for a couple of hours before lunch, a couple of hours after lunch, and we would show them to Guru Maharaj. And, and being in that environment, you know, I've realized over the years that that I'm really susceptible for outside influences. I, I kind of, wherever I go, my mind really adapts to that environment. And so I love being at the ashram, but I also love being in other places that aren't very, you know, favorable for spiritual practice. So so I need to be careful about where I go and who mm -hmm. I attach myself to because I'm not the type of, you know, there are these incredibly uh, strong devotees who can be living alone in the middle of nowhere and kind of creating their own sadhusanga in a way. But I've realized that I'm just completely dependent on others. I, I just need, you know, constant contact with with devotees and constant nourishment or I start to like drift away. So I don't think that book could have could have happened mm -hmm. if we haven't had the opportunity to be in Maduan, to be in that environment. Yeah. Where I, I, I really, really feel like, like a different person, like a better version of myself. Yes. And so that empowerment coming again from the guru and coming from the, the spiritual environment and how you know that you it's so perceptible in our being when we're in it yeah yeah being in the company of people who who have devoted their whole lives just just seeing how how it's worked for them gives me so much confidence that to to keep up my my practice and uh, and and it also sort of uh, inspires me to to continue trying to talk about this through, through our books and, and um, 
trying to share the little that I've that I've realized about it. Yeah, well, I think it's you, both you and your husband's approach to to life is well, just like well, another book, the the expedition number three, and that's a book about cycling and philosophy and you know enduring prolonged exposure to the elements and. And you're also, you have your tour to Europe. So I'd like to hear about maybe some of the adversity. And I was thinking how Krishungi and her husband, because their lives have been pretty well, she was saying how they, they've had this charmed life in a lot of ways and not a, a lot of stresses with, with maybe material things so much. So they go out and create their own adversity. Um, so... I was, I'd love to hear about some of the adversity that you created on these trips that you were in Iceland and you were in, you know, on that long trip from in Europe, from Poland to France, and just maybe tell us something about those trips. Now, it is fascinating when you, you put it like this, that we have a nice house here and, and we have everything we need. So why would we go out and sleep in a tent and get soaked by rain but i guess that uh a lot of times i find that that when you plan for enjoyment you end up suffering and when you almost plan for suffering when you put yourself in difficult situations you end up enjoying and and we like we can't really appreciate what we have until it gets taken away and and um the cycling trips that we've done when we've sort of uh, forced ourselves to be a little bit more austere, to have a, have a better sadhana in the sense that we wake up early in the morning and we, uh, you know, have like a strict daily schedule. It's really been helpful, I think, for us in, in being able to appreciate the, what we have here at home, but also, uh, it's also really changed the way that I look at the world. Uh, I, I feel like when, you're, when you put yourself in a vulnerable situation like that, you really see people at their best also. And you see, see different countries, different societies at their best. You see like the, uh, like for example, when we were cycling in the US, I was nervous before we went. We were cycling from New York to San Francisco and I had been to both cities. I'd been to both coasts, but the middle was a mystery. And, and I was seriously wondering if, if we were gonna get shot by some landowner for trespassing or, cause you know, when you think about the US like in the movies on TV. Wild Wild West or something. Exactly, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I, I seriously expected some you know, person coming from a politically very different um, background, uh, mm -hmm. shooting us on the road. And what actually happened was that these people in their huge cars with stickers on them, you know, showing that they were politically very differently aligned than we, that a lot of these people were, were super generous. They would stop their cars and offer us rides. They would give us water, sometimes even money. They'd offer to pay for our meals. Uh, we were constantly amazed by, by the kindness of these people who, who were so different than us, 
on the surface, but so similar within. You know, Finland and Russia also have a difficult history with the war and everything. And um, a lot of people, before we went cycling in Russia, people were warning us that this, this wasn't safe and we'd get robbed and murdered and then worse. But, but we really had the same experience in Russia. People inviting us to their homes and wanting to share, you know, tea and cookies and offering us a place to stay. And, and these small acts of kindness that mean so much after a long day oh. or rainy day on the bike. And so I, I feel like in, the, in my everyday life, it's easy to get angry and frustrated at people who, who are different mm. than me, who think differently, who see things differently politically. And, and we also have, have a situation in Finland where people are quite aggressive at the moment politically and the, the discussions get really heated and, and it's hard to, to find ways to appreciate, to, to you know, see, the, see God in everyone, to think of others as little sparks of Krishna mm -hmm. and not just my sweet friends, but also the really, really annoying people. But, but having those experiences from the bike trips of the people who, who on the surface were so different and engaged in many activities that I wouldn't, you know, that aren't a part of our lifestyle, but how, how warmly they would open their homes to us and, and how, how they would trust us you know, sometimes trust us with their homes and things and, and go out to get groceries while we were alone in their house. And these really incredible things, you know, in a world that's so full of distrust and, and hate that seeing like that face of people, I, I feel is something that helps me even in, in everyday life to, uh, to try to at least remember that but deep down inside, you know, we're all Jeevas and, and even the, the really annoying people. Yeah. You know, is in their hearts as well. So that's really beautiful. And I wanted to just bring up another point that when, when we first started talking and you had said about how you kind of live out when you're doing these, um, these cycling journeys and doing things that putting yourself in you know, difficult situations that you said, well, I live on by the philosophy of Mari Krishna, Rocky K, Rocky Krishna, Mari K. So I'd, I'd love you to, to talk a little bit about that because I think so many of our fears um, in life, you know, are we don't go out of our comfort zone and we don't try new things because of, ultimately it's the fear of I'm going to be annihilated, you know, I'm not going to be, this is it. Yeah, yeah. I remember years ago, Gurmarj saying that that the fear that fear is based on misidentification with the body. Now, ultimately, when we're afraid of, I'm afraid of the dark, for instance, a silly, really silly fear. But ultimately, ultimately, I think it's it's a fear of dying. And uh, and why are we afraid of dying? Because we think that we'll die with the body. You know, we think that that uh, damage to the body means damage to ourselves. And, and, and I think that 
yeah, being on those trips and and we don't, you know, take unnecessary risks. We also want to, you know, care for the Sarakadea. We don't do stupid stuff, but we do things that some people will think are are a little bit crazy. You know, like camping in a small tent in Alaska in places where there are bears. A lot of people would maybe say that that's not a smart thing to do, but but we we felt that it was a risk that we were okay with taking. And in the end, you know, I'm 42 now, and and everyone I not everyone that I went to school with is still alive today. And and they weren't eaten by bears in Alaska. They maybe they were in a car crash or or got sick or that like that thought of the if if it's my day to die i'll die here in my own home and if it's not my day to die i'll be fine camping in alaska that's really given me a lot of a uh, lot of comfort yeah that krishna you know krishna will protect us until it, the time comes that he'll he'll take us take this body away and give us a new one but but we're always safe. Beautiful. So I, I brought up a couple of things. One, one is that with the, you know, when bad is good, thinking about the having the amputations that you had and how that might have helped to bring you more to this understanding of I'm not the body. I mean, you did mention a little bit about that, but um, do you feel like that? that really has played a big role. Something that was so, you know, depressing for you as a child. And then as an adult, it may have been one of the things that was such a, you know, you see now as such a gift. Yeah, yeah. And that really, you know, when I think about it and how unhappy I was and how happy I am now, that's one of the big changes, you know, that, that have come to my life through Bhakti. And, and I was thinking of, of all the, you know, advanced devotees giving classes in this series and their advanced realizations. And this is kind of, this is my, the small, kind of a simple thing that I have to offer that Bhakti, you know, Gaudiya Vaishnavism has brought me happiness. But at the same time, maybe it isn't simple because <laughs> in a way we're all looking for happiness in this world. So, so maybe, maybe it is a big thing after all. And, and that's really, really how, how I felt, you know, it's the same body still. And, and in some ways, my body is even more damaged than before, even though, though the prosthetics are nice, but, but still I lost a part of my body, but so it's just the way that I look at it. That's, changed really and i mean i don't want to diminish there are people who are really suffering in the world and i've always had a strong desire to help people and to be of use and to fix things you know mm -hmm. to the extent that i forget my own practice and just run around mm -hmm. trying to fix things but and i feel like it's just like during the last couple of years that i've come to really realize that that it's not I'm not here to fix the world I'm here to fix my own you know selfishness 
you know, on the plane, they on an airplane, they'll say that the, if the air pressure drops in the cabin you, and the masks come out, you should put on your own oxygen mask first. And I'm the person who would be running around the cabin and trying to help others and then end up just collapsing <laughs> in the middle. And this is being kind of a recurring thing uh, with me and Kamalaksha that I get into some, I start some crazy project that takes up all my time and uh, really damages my sadhana and, and doesn't leave much time for me to work on our books. And I try to help everyone and fix everything. And I end up collapsing and Kamalaksha having to help me. And, and you know, I haven't really gotten much done if you look at it objectively. So I, I've tried to sort of develop this, you know, Murmarj sometimes talks about having a sense of urgency mm. in terms of our spiritual practice. And, and I've a lot of times fallen into this trap of thinking that other things are more urgent. You know, I'll fix this first and then I'll chant. And of course that then never comes because then there's the next thing to fix and the next thing and the next thing. So lately I've kind of felt that I've, I've gotten a little bit better at this, that this alarm starts to go off when I get asked to, to get involved in something that's not going to be helpful. But that's really something that I've struggled with, like really being able to... Um, to restrain my mind from that uh, urge mm -hmm. that I have to, to fix things, to be in control, really. That's what it's ultimately all about. Didn't you, you, you did have some time in the parliament in Finland? You'd had some position for a while? I was on the city council for okay. eight years. Uh, I ran for the parliament twice, didn't succeed, spent a lot of time and money on it, but... Mm. Some things maybe we need to get out of our system. Yes. Maybe yes. I would have been forever wondering. Of course, if you look at it objectively, it was, uh, I wasted so much time that I could have spent on my practice and, and could, have, could have gone much deeper into my practice by now if I, if I hadn't used up all that time, you know, in, in politics, but, Guru Maharaj never, he never uh, criticized me for it. He never, I mean, he must have seen it all along. Yeah. You know, what a, what a um, fool's errand it was the whole thing. But, but he, in, in a way he was always, I always felt like he was supportive. And like I said earlier, that I could be myself. And I had this strong desire to, to be in politics, to, to have that power, because I, I honestly believe that that way I could change things for the better, for, for the animals, for instance, for the environment, for people. And Guru Maharaj never, you know, said anything negative about the whole thing, even though you know, with his spiritual insight, with his life experience, he must have seen what was going on. And I, I really appreciate that, that he he's really able to, you know, instruct us according to where we are on our exactly. path. Exactly. So how do you think that served you 
those years that you did, you know, serve on the city council and um, you had the opportunity to exert some power and influence in, the, in, in Finland? Well, there's a bike path in my hometown that maybe got built a little bit earlier mm. than it would have otherwise. That's maybe my biggest political achievement. <laughs> and uh, and frankly, you know, I I I um, I got a pretty decent amount of votes the second time I ran for the city council, and, and I would I felt that that I had this duty to continue, and, and that they would, you know, without me they wouldn't. Uh, you know, do that well. And on the following election, they did lose a seat, my party. But then the following election after that, they actually doubled the amount of seats. So in the end, you know, maybe what I learned was that that they don't really need me. And, it, and the, you know, the world doesn't revolve around me and I don't need to fix everything that they're doing just great without me. So that sort of, uh, you know, a lot of times I feel like like when we have this urge to fix things that it's really like an ego thing in the end that mm. I want to feel important and and it's also kind of arrogant to think that that I I have the solution mm. to to you know everyone's problems and I try to look at it more like right now I try to look at it more like I'm the problem you know my my selfishness, that's the problem that I need to be fixing. And I need to put on my oxygen mask and, and learn to, you know, look at, uh, it's really kind of, like I said, like looking at other people and seeing, seeing them as, as parts of Krishna and seeing, seeing Krishna in them and see, uh, looking at them with love and not with anger. Because so, that like desire to control a lot of times I like things to be done properly and I get angry if, if you know, things don't happen on time and if they don't happen the way I like them. <laughs> and, and I, that's not like a very um, loving way of dealing mm -hmm. with people. You, so that, that would be a big area of growth that you would see in yourself from, from the time you started with, with your practices, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, at least now I, I recognize it. Yeah, that's yeah. the first step, right? I, there's a lot of work to do, but I, at least I see some things that I maybe wasn't able to see before. So, and I, I do think that everything in life you can learn something from. So sometimes I would, sometimes I did feel that the whole thing with politics that that was just a huge waste of time. But, but then again, I. I think I, I did learn something about myself and the world and that can be useful and can also serve, you know, as a reminder when I, when I'm about to get pulled into the next battle, mm. then be the new thing that I need, that I think that I need to do before I chant my rounds. Very good. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's, that's a, a huge takeaway from, from your experience. I wonder if you could just share maybe one time in your in, in all your adventures out there that you maybe thought that you were coming close to death or you could, you know, you might die in a situation and um, and were you able to take shelter of Krishna or 
you know, just something, some, some, some situation that you felt you weren't going to be able to control on your own? I guess a lot of times, um, it's maybe not even just a single time, but, but a lot of times we've kind of accidentally, and I'm the navigator, so <laughs> I should have planned better, but we've ended up on roads with a lot of traffic, like scary, seriously scary traffic, big trucks rolling mm -hmm. past. I remember we were in Costa Rica. One time we flew to Costa Rica and, and cycled to Maduvan to surprise Guru Maharaj. So we just showed up without telling him that we were coming. And, um, and that we spent the week in Maduvan. And after that, we cycled towards the Caribbean coast. And we ended up on a road, like a narrow, bumpy Costa Rican road with a lot of trucks, like really heavy traffic rolling into a big harbor where I guess bananas get shipped to Europe or something like that. And both Kamalaksha and I really dislike bananas. So getting killed by a banana truck would <laughs> somehow <laughs> so wrong. But anyhow, so that definitely, I remember that like as a day when I felt like, like the risks were too big, like the situation mm -hmm. wasn't, we weren't really in control anymore but what i do one thing that i do a lot when we're cycling is that i'll chant and sing in my mind if things get scary i'll sing out loud or if there's heavy head wind that drowns my voice because i'm a little bit embarrassed about being a person who cycles and sings for themselves but <laughs> but in a I remember that that time, especially having just been to Maruvan and having those, you know, experiences fresh on my mind. I I was really chanting pretty seriously in that traffic with with those trucks meeting and and there barely being any space for me on the road. Oh, yeah. So, so the yeah the long days on the bike and also we've also done paddling trips where it's even more quiet we're out at sea and and there's no traffic and those have been really been situations where i find that that my mind gets a really bit gets a little bit easier to control that it's a little bit easier for me to to chant and to hear and it really feels you know like the chanting it's not a chore like sometimes when I'm at home, it feels like this is just another thing on my to-do list. It, I mean, I'm ashamed of saying this, but that's how it sometimes feels like these are the things I still need to get done today. And, sure. uh, but so I tried to sort of, uh, like the last few weeks, for instance, have been kind of stressful and, and I've had a bit too much to do and a bit too many things on my list. And so the thought kind of creeps in you know, that maybe I should give myself a break and maybe I, I should, you know, take that time to relax and, and do something nicer instead. And, and these like, you know, the mind starts to, to whisper, there are so many other things you could do. And, and, um, and I've tried to sort of make this conscious effort of, of think of chanting like the way I would on the road when I'm scared that it, it's a resource. It's it's not a chore, but it's a resource that it's it's something that I need to do and try to think of it in a way like 
like this is something I need to do to stay sane through this week and all these deadlines. And I mean, I know that chanting, you know, is so much more. And I'm talking about it now on a very basic level and, and sort of diminishing something great into like a, I, I mean, I don't want to diminish it into like a stress management technique, but but trying to think of it like that, that this is, yeah. this is like what I need. This is my way of, you know, taking care of myself during a difficult time, either, you know, a stressful time with work or being on a road with big banana trucks that this is, this is my lifeline, you know, this is my, my, you know, safety net or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it really helps me just to, uh, to find that, you know, uh, motivation, that inspiration to keep, keep up with my, my practice. Yeah, that's, that's really helpful advice. I think that, you know, most of us are in that same category of, you know, you know, thinking that so many other things are important and, um, being pulled away. I mean, even if you're sitting there chanting, the mind can be pulling you away for the whole two hours thinking about all, you know, your to-do list and all, you know, and just formulating, you know, like I see it like lots of different channels and, you know, we have the, the Krishna channel that we tune into for a couple seconds and then, then we're off into the worry channel or the yeah. planning channel, you know, and it's like we're going all over the place. So yeah, and I wish I could sit and chant for two hours. I'm not there yet, but but I try to, you know, the rounds that I chant, I try to do them properly. I try to sit still and I've been nice. you know uh working on 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 my breathing and trying to sort of uh because I, I really like to do asana practice as well. And I've I've tried to sort of bring in some aspects from that to to be more focused. And, and I, I do find it helpful because I think it was uh, about a year ago during that Japa retreat that we had that you were talking about in your class, you were talking about different um, less than ideal ways of chanting. And one of them was uh, cleaning japa and that's that's totally me walking around <laughs> and picking things up and putting them in their place and and then you see the next thing and you can do so many things with the left hand so i tried to be more a little bit more strict with myself like sitting down you know to uh, to chant my rounds and and telling the mind that that the other things can wait like if things get really bad i'll write something down you know, if, if I really get stuck on a thought, I'll write it down and put it aside and, and say to my mind that I'll get back to it later. Because it's not like for me, it's maybe not like Netflix or YouTube that's pulling me, but it's my mind telling me that there are important things to do, serious important things that need to be fixed by me right now. That's that's like the trap that I yeah. I think you've shared so many really practical things about, you know, your your own struggle more internal, which is, you, you know, um, 
where, where really the sadhaka's journey is more internal than external, even though the yeah, external. Yeah, I've been very lucky with the externals. I, you know, I have a really nice, comfortable home and a, a wonderful husband and, and a job where I can, basically my dream job. So materially everything's just perfect and, and there's no sort of, um, no obstacles of any kind for me to just, just sit and meditate, except for my mind. <laughs> That's really the biggest, biggest obstacle of them. Yes. And I think that's, you know, that's probably about 99% of us are <laughs> in the same struggle. So I'm just looking at the time because I, I could sit here and I have a million questions and, but I want to have time for, um, for the devotees to ask some questions, but I do want to ask one question first, and it's about your, your comics with your, your mouse and your duck. And how did you, you're the mouse and um, Kamalaksha is the, the duck. How did you pick those animals to represent your kind of selves, your ego or whatever? One thing that I that I should like say in the name of honesty about my whole artistic career, you know, as well as my my path as a devotee, is that so much of it uh, is uh, has come to me because of Kamalaksha's help and encouragement, and he was really the one who also like encouraged me and pushed me into starting to do comics, and and uh, he had done a drawing actually of Mickey Mouse chanting for a publication that he did. He was already, he had already done a lot of comics by the time that we met and he had been traveling around Finland and distributing them mm. to people. Cause he, he was doing a lot of Sankirtan back in the nineties. And so, so he had done that drawing of Mickey Mouse chanting and I thought it was super cool. Uh, and the idea of taking like a, like an icon, you know of Western popular culture like that and putting it in the wrong setting, so to speak, really appealed to me. So, I, and there's a tradition, you know, in pop art of, uh, of people doing their own versions of Disney characters. Mm. So I, I kind of intuitively, I was kind of just doodling and, and did a mouse of my own. And, and I felt like, like I could do some, create something interesting you know, put the mouse in a wheelchair or, or the mouse could be chanting or doing all these things that, that Mickey Mouse would never do. So it immediately became like a character of its own. And with Kamalaksha, I wanted to, so I had the mouse, which was like sort of the basic uh, human. And one of the mice would be me and I would put a K on, on the shirt of the mouse to separate myself from the, from the masses. <laughs> and so, uh, but I wanted to make Kamalaksha really special because for me in my life, you know, in so many ways, he's just been super special. And, and he's like, besides Guru Maharaj, he's like the person that I, you know, that I'm so grateful to for everything that, that they've given to me, totally undeserved. And um, so, so of course, with Mickey comes Donald, that's just logical. <laughs> Doc felt like the reasonable, logical thing to do. 
And uh, Kamalaksh is also, uh, his first language is Swedish. He is a part of the Swedish speaking minority here in Finland. And, and they're sort of uh, lovingly, jokingly called, like the community of Swedish speaking Finns is called the duck pond. That they're mm. like a bunch of ducks swimming around and quacking in a pond. So that was also a natural solution. And he also has flat feet. So like the duck, yeah. It all just fell in place like that. So, uh, uh, so he's always been a duck, and and I've always been a mouse. And and when when we did a little comic comic book about about getting initiated, uh, we needed to pick an animal for Guru Maharaj. And I think it was he himself who said that he'd like to be a cow. Because a guru, he said that the guru is like a cow. You can take him anywhere and he'll give milk. milk. Mm, the cow, you know, being such an, such, you know, a generous animal, nice. turning dry grass into milk. Nice. Yeah. So that's really also how I feel, you know, mm. overall with Guru Mars that I've been able to give him so little, you know, I'm, yeah. I haven't really, you know, been able to give him much, but he's given me so immensely in return that, uh, yeah, he really is like the cow. And your attitude shows how much you've grown in your spiritual life, that you had just so much humility and it's, it's, it's beautiful. Thank you. Only because of the mercy of the devotees <laughs> well you took you took advantage of it because a lot of us have that mercy and we're not taking advantage of it so it's 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 a characteristic of yours that shines brightly Kishangi. so i guess it's another way in which i've been blessed you know being able to spend time with guru Maharaj and, and being able mm. to you know maybe make some choices but also coming from a background, you know, from a family that could support me financially. So I, I've never needed to worry about money. So I can just, you know, take a month off and go spend it with Guru Maharaj. So great it's really fortune. Yeah, great there. fortune. Yeah. So, so it's interesting. A, a lot of people feel sorry for me because of my feet. And I feel sorry for them because they're not in connection okay. to Krishna, to Guru Maharaj. So what is suffering in the end? Yeah, totally, totally. So true. I just gonna ask if anybody on the call has a question you'd like to ask Krishangi. Um, you just have to unmute yourself and we'll see if we get any questions. And if not, I can ask more. <laughs> Anybody? Let's see. Thank you very much, Kushangi. This is from Anupurna. I don't understand well all, but I believe this question that, let's see, she's got it in the chat. Okay. But I believe this question that I have, your response in the last part about your creative process is to your Udipana. Oh, to, the creative process to set it your Udipanas in the beginning during the final of your dialogues 
and drawings are genius and beautiful. You are an inspiration to me. Thank you again. So it's not a question, but a comment of great appreciation. Thank you so much. Yeah, it really means a lot to me. M making, doing okay. comics is, is actually a lot of work. You put a lot of work into creating something that that's easy to read. And uh, it's really, I feel that it's a great way of talking about serious issues because people don't always take it seriously as, a, as an art form. So you can sneak in these, you know, Absolutely. questions about life and death basically. But, but I do, you know, ask myself if the world needs another book by Kreshang and Kamalakshan and getting like positive feedback, like hearing that people appreciate the books really means a lot to me and really, really uh, inspires me. Yes, and, and yeah, your latest comic in the, um, in the Harmonist about living in two worlds. I think that just, yeah, spoke to me. I'm sure it spoke to other devotees who saw it. So maybe what, how, what inspired you to, on that one, just uh, how do you come up with your, your art, I guess? How do you do it? One where I'm like rowing back and forth. Right, the one, yeah. That, one. that came to me, it was a few years ago, we were in Madhuvana and it was something that Gorsundar said about life basically life in this world basically being like bouncing back and forth between you know enjoyment and uh and like you try to enjoy and then you get disgusted with it and you're like oh i'm never gonna do that again and then you you bounce to the side of austerity and and then you get disgusted with that and bounce back to enjoyment and back and forth like that and, and he was talking about it in such a nice way that that inspired to me. So again, that idea also came to me from someone else. I'm just, you know, oh, picking cool. up things here and there and putting them on paper. Yeah, well, that's 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 your gift. It seems to be able to take very philosophical points like Bogatiag, you know, going back and forth, and then to create a little comic that totally depicts it and it's you know like you said some people will read the philosophy and some people will read the you know just look at the comic and yeah. you know pictures worth a million words or yeah. pictures and worth, that yeah. makes, also makes me think of you know of my childhood and and that time when I was bullied and I I I felt like an outsider you know observing the other kids and and maybe that's something that's useful for me today that sort of uh you know, looking at others from the outside and, and sort of observing people and their, their, what's going on in their lives. And, and that's something that's very useful for an artist, you know, creating stories that can feel real. Uh, it's right. important to, to sort of uh, watch people, to listen to people in order to be able to create characters that that feel like real people and that people can relate to. And so in, in that sense, even those years, you know, when I was, I was miserable, really, even that in some ways, maybe in the end has been helpful. 
yeah, to just detach from the whole, you know, trying to enjoy in the world. I think I had that experience also of just being very unhappy as a child and didn't have any disability like that, but just never felt really, you know, any, anything, any activity just seemed kind of boring and flat and the world didn't seem very interesting. So, yeah, I think it was, you know, at the time, I, I don't think I was very happy about it, but now I, I reflect back on it and think, wow, it was a real gift to be able to, to, to have that experience. Yeah, it's difficult to see when you're in the moment, but then, you know, yeah. with, with the years passing, you can kind of step back a little bit and, and look at it through the lens of philosophy. And, and really see it was a gift. It was a gift. And so, so on your hero's journey, I mean, we're all still becoming, we have, you know, some ways to go. I mean, we can look at the the stages of bhakti and kind of put ourselves, maybe we're getting to the top of the mountain, but we still have some distance to go yet. But the distance we have come thus far is far, far greater than the distance we have yet to go. So um, where do you see what like aspirations as far as your bhakti journey and your, um, where would you like to see yourself like in two years from now, what would, what, what changes would you like to see? We've heard a lot of changes that you've made already. And... Yeah, two years, that's a tough one. You know, I've, I come from a family where women live to a very long, where women reach a high age and my mom's 82 and she's super active and, and um, very sharp in the head. And so I've kind of, you know, had that, thought in a way this whole time that that there's so much time and you know when I'm when I'm 70 I'll be really advanced but <laughs> but somehow I'll magically you know jump there overnight and you know when I'm 90 I'll be super advanced so and this is something that I've been thinking about recently as well that that we talk about senior devotees and I realized that I've been a devotee for 23 years so so in a way I could also be described as a senior devotee or if we think of like Guru Maharaj where was he after 23 years that and that kind of thought really struck me that if if I could be described as a senior devotee am I behaving like one do I have the you know, realizations or the sadhana of a senior devotee? Like, do I live up to what we think of when we say the word senior devotee? And that kind of, that thought kind of made me stop and think about the years that I've that passed and the years that I have ahead of me, probably in all likelihood, you know. Hare Krishna, Rakeke, Rake Krishna, Marake, maybe. I'll get hit by a car tomorrow morning walking to the grocery store. So, so that like that's something I I need to work on. That sense of urgency, you know, giving up that idea that I have 50 years in this life to uh, to become, you know, that mystical um, creature that I've always imagined myself being when I'm when I'm older. That 
that I should be, you know, doing it here and now because I am, in fact, you know, if looking at at the years I'm a senior devotee, but not like looking at the at the level of spiritual advancement. So how have I spent those years, and how will I spend the next two or twenty years? It's it's something that's that's been on my mind. So, mm. so yeah, maybe that's that's like a like a goal that I'd like to set for myself being more focused really and and finally uh being able to to say no to all the all the side projects <laughs> that I, yeah, challenging when I, I yeah especially when you're a competent doer type person that you know and the opportunities come and it's like oh yeah that I, I could do that it's, and it's I know that I get things done so that's yeah. really the it's really the trap you know for a person like myself that that like self-importance that that feeling of satisf satisfaction that I get from getting things done so yeah Krishna helps us he has his ways of you know using our natures we have to use our natures and um and he does allow that and if we get too far off course, he's expert at pulling us back on. I've seen that so many times. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's also been my experience. Like I, I never got to the parliament and that was really good for me. Like that was the point maybe where Krishna decided that that it was enough, that it was yes. time to, you know, pull me yeah. back. Nice. Yeah. Excellent. Well, we're just about out of time. I just wonder if there's anything that you would like to, to share. Um, Mahar, do you have a question? Oh, I just, I thank you, Krishangi, for that. It was beautiful. And I learned, um, just a sec, I have to turn this off. Our junior guard, here's his, wait, <laughs> I got to close the door. Can you close the door? No, just close the door, because I can't. It's vibrating. I'm sorry, it's echoing, so I couldn't concentrate. Yeah, I think just closed the door. Thanks. Yeah, so um, Gordon Ryan's listening on his phone, so it's it's making an echo. But I just wanted to say that I really appreciate how you, when you were younger and you had the the you know your feet were deformed and you didn't you thought you'd go in the wrong direction and. You know, um, you know, a lot of these addiction groups, they say that you can't get better, it's a disease. And, um, but I feel like Krishna consciousness, you can really grab someone's disease at the root and really get rid of it forever if somebody really does apply themselves. And I was trying to tell this one group, this one person, and she was saying, oh no, you can't, it's a disease. And so it's very nice to hear your uh, account. I know it, I told her, well, I think I would have gone down the wrong path as well, but because I took to a spiritual path, I don't have any desire for anything anymore, but um, it's nice to know that there's somebody else who said the same thing. So I got some inspiration from that. Thank you. Okay. But but it is really that's something that I was also thinking about how 
how the devotee lifestyle, like how it saved us from so many things and how it's also so beneficial for the whole world. You know, back when in the 90s, like I said, I really appreciated the devotees being vegetarians and, uh, and people were like laughing a little bit at the Hindus worshiping cows, you know, the holy cow. And look at the world today, we have the climate change and, and today everyone knows that killing cows you know, has caused all these huge environmental issues. And I'm like, we had it right all along. You know, you can't kill cows because that's going to ruin the world. And, and now I really feel like, like science is proving these things that, that we kind of, we knew all along and, and we were, you know, maybe in my case, at least it was a very naive thing at first. Uh, in many ways, right? it wasn't sort of a lifestyle firmly rooted in philosophy or, or science or whatnot. But, but a lot of uh, over the years, I've seen that a, a lot of the things we do, like meditation as well, like right now, people talk about how good meditation is for you and everyone's getting into it. And I'm like, huh, I've been meditating since the 90s. You had a good cartoon on the meditation and running also. That was on the harmonist, I remember. Oh yeah, that was about time as well. And yeah, and trying to escape time, kind of escaping death. Yeah. Doesn't work. Except if you're a devotee can escape. But that. yeah, everyone has their own path, but but for me it really yeah that really was a big turning point in my life and i feel that 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 the other path that i was about to step on or had kind of stepped on already would have that's crazy really dark place and now i'm in a really in a place of light and and happiness so we're just so happy that you're you're part of our group and you make it brighter for me, so I'm sure that's the case for others. And we'll have to, you know, get your husband to come on and share his journey and be a good com companion interview at some point. Yeah, and he has great stories, you know, from uh, great Sankirtan stories and great stories from the road overall. Oh, so, and yeah. and he's also, you know, he's very, he's got that fixed mindset, really, that that I've struggled with. So, so he's also been an inspiration for me in that sense that, in, that he's sort of uh, firm. That's wonderful. Know. Yeah, it's wonderful to have a, a partner that is, you know, really fixed in his sadhana and that can help so much. So yeah, it's great. All right. Well, and unless there's any other questions, at the, we'll give one more shot for anybody. We'll kind of end it at this point. Thank everybody for participating. Um, next week, um, Guru Nishta will be um, on for the, uh, the modern sage. So we look forward to hearing some of his experiences also we have these wonderful european devotees that we're capturing and bringing them on so it's great okay well thank you so much everyone
Hare Krishna. Thank you. Anybody want to unmute and just say something to Kushangi before we, we close off? That would be nice. You can say hello. Anybody? Krishangi ki jai. Jai. Thank you so much, Krishangi. That was so awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Krishangi. Sumati. I hope we get to meet at Madhavan again someday. I hope so too. And, and I just loved everything that you said. Thank you so much for sharing your heart with all of us. Thank you. I loved what you said in your interview two weeks ago. I, it was really amazing. <laughs> I'm just so happy to be a part of this family. You know. I know. We're all so blessed. It's taking a break in June, isn't it? No, we have no. We we it, we do have the June schedule, and okay, um, excellent. Yeah, so we are going to be continuing with the series as long as as long as we have some interest and devotees willing to participate, we're going to do it. Excellent. So, That's very good news. Thank you. Yes, and we'll be getting you on there too. So, and and Sargrahi will have you know, definitely get you guys on. Hi, Paul. Hi, Paul. Good to see both of you. And yes, and thank you for your your very beautiful little book too. <laughs> okay. Well, everybody have a wonderful rest of your day, and um, we'll see everybody soon. Um, not. Before, by Sunday anyway, hopefully. Hare Krishna. Hare Ball. Thank you, Krishna, so much. Thank you so much for having me.